Take your Bibles today and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Paul is the author of Romans. He's also the writer of about two-thirds of the New Testament. And to me, when you come to Romans 8, you are getting to the summit of all that he said. To me, it is the Everest of his writings. To pass over it quickly is to miss just the culmination of everything he had experienced in his own life from Jesus and that he tried to communicate to all of those who were coming to know Jesus. So in Romans chapter 8, I'll begin reading at verse 31. It says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Now let me pause and just identify that this question would take us back to what has he been talking about? What shall we say to these things? The things he has been talking about since chapter 1. Chapters 1 through 7, he is talking about salvation and transformation. I would encourage you to read it again, word for word, line for line, chapter after chapter. And when you come to the 8th chapter, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Here it is. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Can you praise God for that kind of encouragement? God is for us, not just for our cause. He's for you. I recently saw a billboard, and the entire billboard was was captured by these letters, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. No reference to who put the billboard in place, no reference to a church, no reference to an individual. All you saw was the name Jesus. You couldn't miss it. It captured your attention. It captured your focus. In Romans 8, it's like a huge billboard that says, Jesus. It's impossible to miss it. It's going to capture your focus, and the power of it is a portrait that you can take in your heart into this next week, and I believe it will encourage you. When he asks the question, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? He wants to support it with four other amazing questions. Let's begin at verse 32. Since he who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God didn't spare even his son, his only son. He gave him up because he loved us. John wrote that he so loved us, so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, And Jesus lived a sinless life, yet at Calvary, he took upon himself every sin that we have ever committed or that we will ever commit. He took it to the cross and there took our place and offered sacrifice for our sins. Became the substitute, it's called the propitiation of our sin. 
He died the death that we should have died so that we may live the life that he created us to live. He died for every sin, not so that he could make bad people good, but so he could make spiritually dead people alive to an abundance and a purpose. Jesus made sure when he was telling the story of the prodigal that the father identified his son as the one who was dead but is alive again. How will he not with him if he did that for us also freely give us all things? These precious children after the first world war were refugees. They were orphaned and They were taken into an orphanage, and they had been almost starved to death. Sleeping through the night for these children, even though they were now in the orphanage and safe, was very difficult. They they dealt with a lot of fear, and the leaders realized it was tied to the fact of starvation, that prior to coming into the orphanage, they didn't know if they would have food to eat. And so they made sure right before the children went to bed, They gave them bread and milk so that they went to sleep on a full stomach. Yet, these children still would struggle sleeping through the night. And they then identified that, okay, they're going to sleep full, but they're still worried that they're going to have something tomorrow. So they not only gave them bread and milk to eat right before they went to sleep, but they gave them a piece of bread to hold in their hand as they went to sleep, letting them know, You not only have food today, but you already know there's food for tomorrow. And they would pray over these children the words of the great hymn, Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I want to praise God that he didn't spare his own son and that Jesus gave his life for me. And also, in addition to forgiving me of all of my sins, past, present, and future, he gives me strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Praise God. Go ahead and celebrate his strength, his grace, his gifts to us. Verse 33, ask who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own. Paul just sends this question up. And then says, no one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. When we get saved, it's positional and relational. It is relational in that we're saved to a relationship, not a religion. We're saved to know Jesus, to develop a relationship and be his follower. But we're also saved positionally from an unrighteous, disconnected standing from God to a right standing with God. We are robed in the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ. Our righteousness was as filthy rags. On our best day, we fell way short of the high mark of God. But God in his mercy spared not even his own son. And in Jesus' gift, it not only forgave our sins, but it gave us right standing with God. It gave us a righteousness. It was imputed. It was given by Jesus' sacrifice. If you're dealing with any level of shame, be delivered today. 
There is no condemnation. It is Satan that accuses the brethren. He's a liar. He's the author of lies. And he doesn't own the future. He was defeated at the cross. And Jesus has the name that is above every name. Be delivered from shame and guilt. No more condemnation. Peter denied Jesus three times. Standing by a fire just outside of the the inter court. He cursed and denied Jesus. Peter, who was called by Jesus to follow. Peter, who was an eyewitness of miracles and teachings. Listen to Jesus teach the parables and influence communities. Now, he denies Jesus three times. It is obvious when you walk with Peter through his life from that point, there was a cloak of shame. There was a heaviness of guilt. And one day, Peter was out fishing and Jesus arrived on the shore. Peter, knowing that Jesus was there, didn't wait for the boat to get into shore. He dove out of that boat and made his way to the shore. And when he arrived, there Jesus was and Jesus himself had built a fire. The last reference of Peter being at a fire was when he denied Jesus. And now he's standing there at a fire. And Jesus asked not once but three times as if to coincide with the number of times he denied him. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. He was saying, I forgive you and I restore you to purpose. No more shame. No more guilt. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Verse 34 says, who then will condemn us? Notice these words carefully. No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us. And is seating in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Don't read it too quickly. Massive doctrine just just rolls off of the pen of Paul. I'm telling you, this is the Everest right here. Jesus died for us, pointing crucifixion that offered salvation. He was raised to life for us. Resurrection which was God's amen to Jesus' statement, it is finished. He is seated. The high priest in the Old Testament had a job that was never done because the work was never complete. So you never see the priest, after offering sacrifice, taking a seat. Wasn't even allowed because no one was to get the signal that sacrifice would no longer be necessary. The moment sacrifices were offered in the Old Testament, it initiated the next sacrifice. The meticulous uh, attention to detail so that the sacrifices would be acceptable to God only to cover sin 
for a season. But when Jesus, the one whom God didn't spare, when he offered his life as a perfect sacrifice and as our high priest, after having offered that sacrifice and died and rose again, he has passed through the heavenlies and he is seated at the right hand of the Father because the work is done and Calvary was complete, past, present, and future. Grace, 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 and more grace. It's a portrait, isn't it? You can't miss Jesus in Romans 8. And it says, as he's seated there, he prays. He's our advocate. The one who was crucified, the one who rose again, the one who passed through the heavenlies and is seated. Three massive doctrines. And now our advocate who is seated, whoever lives to pray for us, to intercede. All of you know the blessing of somebody praying for you. You know the encouragement when someone says, I'm praying for you, and you know they mean it. You've had a family member that no doubt has been very special to you. And you know that they have that intercessory passion for you. They pray for you. Kelly and I have lived in the blessing of her grandmother's prayers. Her grandmother who is now with the Lord. She told us many, many times, never will the sun come up. But what your name has not been presented to the highest throne. Someone praying for us. Now I want you to imagine something. Imagine if there was no one praying for you. Not one. What would that be like? If ever on this side of heaven that day should come. That not one human being is praying for you, rest assured of this, you still have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, whoever lives to make intercession for you. And if there's one whose prayers get answered, it is the great high priest, Jesus himself. You're being prayed for right now. You are being lifted before God right now by Jesus Christ. Oh, we're getting to the top. And here we go. The next question. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God did not spare his own son, how will he not with him give us all things? Who is he that accuses? Who is he that condemns? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Well, let him answer it. Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. 
as the scriptures say, for your sake, you're killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Other versions say, we're like sheep led to the slaughter. And before we keep reading, I I want you to pay attention to the description Paul gives to us. We, We are sheep. He writes that that's the way we are to view ourselves. We're sheep. Yes, we are the sheep of his pasture. But we're sheep. And sheep were rather defenseless. Sheep, on their best day, were rather helpless. And yet, he shows us a picture of sheep on their worst day, at their weakest, as they are being led to the slaughter, saying, it can't get any worse. Like, that's the ultimate. Now, he takes us and shows us Here is the ultimate picture of despair and hopelessness. And in light of that, he's asking, can anything separate us? Verse 37. All right, Paul, preach. Paul says, okay, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Have the picture as you see the picture. Helpless sheep being led to slaughter. On the worst day, overwhelming victory is ours. On our worst day, overwhelming victory is ours. On our worst day, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Keep preaching, Paul. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us From God's love. No power in the sky above. Or in the earth below. Indeed. Nothing in all creation. Will ever be able to separate us. From the love of God. That is revealed. In Christ Jesus. Our Lord. The billboard. Jesus. What in your life is beyond you? What seems overwhelming, daunting, difficult, tough, stressful, painful, uncontrollable, impossible? When you have those issues, the billboard of your heart and mind will tend to hold its name side to side and top to bottom. And you live captivated by the portrait of a challenging circumstance. 
The Holy Spirit seeks today to change the portrait. The Holy Spirit seeks today to change your vision. What you see. Because what you gaze upon has a direct connection to the anxiety of your life. And if we can follow what the psalmist said and lift up our eyes, and see Jesus, we're going to walk in a fresh power. Hallelujah. Fresh strength. Identify that which seems to be overwhelming. I want to give you an encouragement. I want to give you an action step for this week and then an action step for today. The action step for the week is take Romans 8, 31 through 39 and read it several times in a day. Have it where you can access it and every time your heart wants to focus on that which is difficult, counter it with another reading of Romans 8, 31 through 39. Until when you are reminded of your challenge, you have a response that sends to your mind these words. God's for me. God, Yahweh, Almighty, is for me. And God didn't stop at any limit to provide for me right standing and provision on my toughest day. So instead of walking in defeat, walking in unrest, uncertainty, I'm going to walk in peace. I'm going to walk in power. I'm going to walk in a positive attitude. I'm going to walk in praise and worship to the one who is for me. Therefore, what can be against me? We encourage you if, that, if you, if you and I will do that this week, we will live differently than if we don't do it. The action step for today is just to receive this word as a rhema to your heart. You'll hear enough, you'll see enough that can drag you down. The accuser of the brethren will see to it that you will be challenged. So I want you to receive this word into your spirit today through prayer and let it be encouragement. I felt a burden for people who have dealt with a prolonged challenge and it's it's really threatening you with discouragement. One thing about Paul is that he not only had occasional considerable challenges, They were continual. It's like he never got a reprieve. He never got a break. Just take one missionary journey where he's in Philippi and for preaching the gospel, they beat him almost to death. How long does it take to get over something like that emotionally, much less physically? 
he continues to preach the gospel and he continues under severe persecution. He's kicked out of one city after another, most of the time either beaten or threatened with imprisonment. On and on and on it goes. When he gets to Corinth, they tell him, now you're where the governor lives and if you continue to preach in Jesus' name, it'll be easier to have you prosecuted and potentially executed. This is the man who says, though the outward man is perishing. Please know that he's not just referencing that he's getting older like he has another birthday. He's just having another day of incredible challenge and it was taking from him, but simultaneously there was something supplying him with such strength that he was saying, the inner man is being renewed day by day, and I'm looking not to the things that are temporal, but that the things that are eternal. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, for my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This isn't a guy who was on vacation. This was a guy in the very vex of challenge. He learned. He learned to receive in the midst of it. So, If right now there is that situation in your life and you need to be encouraged, I want you to stand and come right now because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to bring supernatural encouragement to you today. And as we stand in His presence, you just come, all right? And I know there are are those of you, this word is for you. So just prepare and come forward right now. Stand right here with me and we're going to believe God. We're going to pray. I'll just wait. some brothers and sisters who carry that prayer burden for someone here why don't you stand and come and take that place of agreement and support Paul said one way he overcame was by the prayers of others and the supply of the Holy Spirit Paul relied on the prayers of others 
Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Congregation, you know how to touch God. I want you to stand now where you are and let's engage in intercessory prayer for the Spirit to lift heavy hearts. Just stretch a hand toward these who have come forward today and let's give place now for the Holy Spirit to confirm His Word with signs and wonders. Spirit of the living God, be that underpinning of every heart. Be the strong foundation upon which each one stands. Be Jehovah, provider. Be Jehovah, healer. Be Jehovah, the one who is present. Be Jehovah, shalom, the one who gives peace. Come in the power of your name. Manifest miracles right now. Manifest divine intervention. A defining moment and a turning point. Turn something around today. Turn a situation. Turn a circumstance. That's it, church. Just begin to call out to God. You said that if we would call out, that you would hear us and answer us and you would show us great and mighty things. You said where two or three agree together as touching anything that it shall be done. That as we present our requests to you and make them known that you then will give peace that passes all understanding. Our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. Our confidence is in you today. Your name is above every name and so we speak the name of Jesus. I speak Jesus over every person who has come forward. I speak the name of Jesus over their circumstance. I speak it over their past, over their present, and over the future. It's all about you. We see you today in your glory, in your resurrected power. We see you today high and lifted up. We see you as the one in control. So, Lord, we find refuge. We find rest. We find strength today. And we give you glory. We lift up our hands of praise because you have removed a spirit of heaviness. You have removed a spirit of defeat and given us a spirit of victory. Overwhelming victory. Overwhelming victory. Lord, we've been overwhelmed by the problem. We've been overwhelmed by the difficulty today. We're overwhelmed by victory. Hallelujah overwhelmed by victory and we praise you we thank you Jesus we praise you Lord surely you're here and you're meeting with us because you love us because you care about us you're concerned with the very feelings you're touched with what we're going through and I thank you I praise you, Lord. Let's just lift our hands in worship and gratitude to the Lord all over this place.
We love you, Lord. We rejoice in you. We celebrate today. We give you the praise today. Lord, we just want to thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. We want to thank you that mercy and truth have met together. Hallelujah. We want to thank you today that our future is one of hope. It is one of purpose. It is one of victory. We want to praise you today. We're not going to look to the things that are temporal, but to those things that are eternal. For the things that are temporal are light and momentary and are not worthy to be compared with the weight of glory that is laid up for us in our heavenly dwelling. We fix our eyes on you. We fix our eyes on you. We praise you. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah.